When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code POD to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code POD at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code POD. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I want to talk to you guys about Matchstick Golf. Matchstick is a custom designer of ball markers based in Portland, Oregon, that was born out of its founder getting sick and tired of trying to find cool ball markers that weren't those huge, heavy poker chips and didn't cost 300 bucks on eBay. Matchstick's markers include the one-eye alligator from Happy Gilmore, you know, the one that ate Chubb's hand, and a stack of cash that will have you putting for dough and birdies. Right now, they're offering 15% off your first order at matchstickgolf.com with the code TURN15. That's TURN15 at matchstickgolf.com. Set fire to the greens. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, welcome into the 100th episode of At The Turn. Nick, we made it and what a topic we have for this very special edition. It's only right that our centennial episode is is with the sequel to the greatest golf movie of all time, right? Caddyshack 2. We're in the middle of our golf movie fivesome, The Bee Flight. We did Who's Your Caddy last week, and it is Caddyshack 2 this week. So for folks, Joe, yes, please. Ashley, my lovely wife, is so <laughs> mad at these terrible golf movies. She like... I, I tried to get her to watch Caddyshack 2 with me, and instead of like hanging out on the couch, drinking a beer, watching the movie, she she last night went and did dishes for like 45 minutes. And then today, when I when I put her on the second half of the movie, she went and like folded clothes and, and like put away the laundry. And she's like, This is so stupid. Like, when are you guys gonna be done with this bad golf movie five some? How many uh, are you doing? Like, well, what a question. We're 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 at number two right now. We have three more to go. I would suspect this is the worst movie that we're going to watch and talk about on this podcast. It got a 4% on Rotten Tomatoes compared to the 6% for Who's Your Caddy last week. Are we talking about the same movie? <laughs> it's, it's a Nick 3.8 out of 10 on IMDb. So here are the quick stats before we get into it. It was released in 1988, eight years after the original, starring Jackie Mason, Robert Stack, Diane Cannon, who I have a lot of thoughts on, Jonathan Silverman, and Dan Aykroyd, who I also have a lot of thoughts on. And Chevy Chase is in this movie as well. He's the only person from the original who reprised his role. Apparently, and I'll just start here because I have a lot of background on this movie and why it was made and all of this stuff. Chevy Chase got paid millions of dollars to appear in this movie. Millions of dollars. And according to the director, who was Alan Arkush, he was 
just a complete a-hole the entire time he was on set. Was very, very difficult. Didn't really want to be in the movie. Was happy to cash a check and get out of there. The budget of this film was $25 million. It made $11.8 million. Nick, before we get into our thoughts of the movie, a quick review. Okay. This is from the Los Angeles Times. And I think this is pretty emblematic of most of the reviews about this movie. This is by Michael Wilmington. Has there ever been a worse sequel than this? Grease 2, Jaws 4, Friday the 13th, Part 6. Even Rambo 3 has more laughs than Caddyshack 2. And Stallone wasn't even trying. So there you go. I have a question. Yeah. How many times did this movie make you laugh? That's a good question, because I actually never thought about that until you just said that. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't. I never found myself laughing. Like, I ne- I never was was laughing during the movie. But I guess for some reason, I guess here's here's my mindset. Like, there's movies, and, and my dad is this way with Super Troopers, where, like, I was like, this movie is hilarious. It's it's so funny. And, and I, I wasn't trying to get him to watch it, but he watched it. And the whole time, he's like, I was just waiting to laugh, and I never thought it was funny. And I thought that was weird. But for me, this was the opposite. Like, I was waiting for it to be like, the worst movie ever. And I never felt that it was the worst movie ever, you know? And so for that reason, I was I was not disappointed. I guess I wasn't ever laughing. It wasn't comical. Well, there was actually there was there was one line, one line that stood out to me that that I'm still laughing at. And that was when Chevy Chase is, is giving uh our friend Jack a golf lesson and he says, Be the ball. And Jack says, If I'm gonna be a piece of sporting equipment, I'm gonna be a women's bicycle seat. <laughs> That's not a bad line. So do you want to get into our thoughts in the movie or do you want to get onto some background as to how and why this movie was actually made? So I did a fair bit of research. No, we should we should unpack our thoughts first. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, and put that into perspective and then and then let's hit some background. Do you want to do our categories? Because I have I have uh, some thoughts on the categories and just some general thoughts in the film itself. I think, I think our, our general thoughts. I think we start with our general thoughts. Okay, great. So... Again, as I mentioned at the top, the only person who reprised their role was Chevy Chase as Ty Webb. Essentially, they tried to, you know, Jackie Mason was the Rodney Dangerfield character. Robert Stack was the Ted Knight, the Judge Smales character. Jonathan Silverman, who you might remember from Weekend at Bernie's, he's kind of the Danny Noonan, Michael O'Keefe character. And then Dan Aykroyd is Bill Murray, Carl Spackler. Uh, out Out of all the leads, which of the one, which one did you like? The best. So basically, the person who's trying to do an impression of the original movie, which of those four did you like the best? Well, as a character, I, I like Jackie Mason the best. And there's a couple, mm. there was only, I think, two scenes outside of like just the way that he dressed where I thought he was trying to be Rodney Dangerfield and trying okay. to like be that character. I thought they did an okay job of giving him his own personality. He has a cause, he's trying to build these you know, affordable housing for the blue collar folk. Um, You know, he seems to be like a a good guy. One of the first scenes he's in, he like folds a poker hand that he would have won. So his employee can win like a a big pot off of him because, you know, the guy needs it more than he does. So right off the bat, they show that he's a good guy. He's compassionate. Um, So I think they, that kind of set him apart from trying to just like replicate Rodney Dangerfield. And there were a couple of times I felt like he was, 
he was trying to do that. But for the most part, he had his own his own character, which I like. And and I feel like it was a likable guy. Like I said, a, a guy who's compassionate, who's doing things for the right reasons. You know, he wants the public to have access to this golf course. He doesn't just want it to be a snooty country club. Um, you know, and he's he's a good Italian man. So so I liked him. Yeah. I thought they did a good job of establishing, like you said, that he's supposed to be a good dude. Like he he has a good cause. Um, you know, I th- I think I think Jackie Mason's style is very similar to Rodney Dangerfield's, not like in his clothing, but just sort of the way he delivers jokes and his humor and this whole sort of thing. I think it's it's very similar, which makes a lot of sense because when Rodney didn't do the movie, you get someone who is like him. But I don't know. The guy, it, it's tough for him to carry a movie, like, because if you're not into that type of humor, which I, I, I guess I kind of am, it's not going to be funny. Like, getting back to the, how many times did you laugh in this movie? I laughed one time during this movie, and I actually was surprised how much I laughed. So I got to get to Randy Quaid, who plays the lawyer of uh, Jack, um, who is <laughs> completely unhinged in this movie. And so... We have to get through a little bit of the plot and or or not. You know what? I'll I'll just I'll just say this completely out of context and it probably just gives you an idea of what, what the movie's about. Robert Stack is trying to make a putt on the 18th hole, and Randy Quaid, dressed as a hockey goalie, punches him in the face and then gives a forearm shiver to the playing partner. Like so basically the golf course has been turned into this giant sideshow where it's like a miniature golf course, but it's a full-length golf course, and there's windmills and there's you know, people in mascot outf- outfits dancing around and we get to the 18th hole and it's basically a giant hockey rink. And so Robert Stack is trying to make a putt on 18 and Randy Quaid somehow is dressed like a hockey goalie and he's sitting with like a bunch of cardboard cutouts like in the arena of this 18th green and he jumps out of the stands and it looks like he's about to block the putt from Robert Stack and he's like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get out of your way. And he goes to the side of the rink, which is the 18th green of this golf course. And as soon as Robert Stack hits the putt, he comes and he starts like hitting the ball and he takes the ball away from the hole. And it's like he's 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 hitting it like a hockey puck. And then he just goes and he punches Robert Stack in the face. And I have to admit, we're we're probably an hour in the movie at that point. I laughed quite a bit when that happened. Nick. That was that was like a big, a hearty laugh out of me. And then just gives a forearm shiver to the playing partner who's probably 70 years old. Um, Randy Quaid was my second favorite part of this movie. He was he, he was a good addition, and that scene was funny because there this like the lead up to that is all these lawyers and this like bureaucratic like we're gonna get the the zoning commission to shut you down. It's all this like paperwork, and then like he just consequence free punches him in the face on the golf course, and I'm like, oh yeah, like that seems like a way better solution. So they're trying to get Jackie Mason out of the golf club because he's the outsider and he's trying to build all this affordable housing. He buys Bushwood Country Club that is somehow now owned by Ty Webb, Chevy Chase's character. And after he buys this golf course, he turns it into, like I said, what did he call it? Jack's Wacky Golf Course. So when you Jackie's roll up, Wacky Golf. Jackie's yeah. Wacky Golf Course. You roll up and it's like a huge miniature golf course, but it's a full length track. So my question is, Nick, do you want to play this golf course? Do you want to play Jack's Wacky Golf Course? No. No. And I, I hate relating Surprise. to the the country club folk in this movie, but no, nobody wants to do like nobody wants to try to hit an approach that 
through, through a giant windmill 100 yards away? Well, two different things. Two different things. There's belonging to a club that has this all going on with windmills in front of the second green and giant plastic tulips everywhere or playing a course like this. So you go somewhere and you play this course once. You wouldn't want to try it one time? No. Oh, you need to hang out with no. Miffy and Buffy. I know. Here's the You're thing. You're going to go to Miffy's brunch. Here's the thing. I'm just going to, like, maybe 15 years ago, now that I am married and I have a job and I have a baby, like, if I have five hours where I can just leave the house and go play golf, I am not wasting it on Jackie's wacky golf and fun. Hmm. Wow, I'm not, a waste. I'm gonna, a waste, I'm huh? Gonna, I'm not wasting it. Oh, boy. Um, the other thing that I have is uh, Diane Cannon. I mean, wow. Three-time Academy Award nominee. Uh, I probably read about 15 reviews of this movie, and they destroy everybody. They kill everybody in this movie. Not one review, granted, they were all by men, did I see anyone take one shot at Diane Cannon. You know how old she is in this movie, Nick? Like 60? She is 52. Okay. Now, my my initial question is, okay, Diane Cannon is obviously like a 12 out of 10 beautiful. Seems very, very cool. Just trying to have an amazing time. And I first thought, well, why does Diane Cannon like Jack? And then I wasn't really interested in that question anymore. Why does Diane Cannon belong to Bushwood Country Club? What is she doing there? She doesn't appear to like anybody there. She doesn't really appear to be into golf. She appears to just want to have a good time and and chill. I get why she likes Jack, because he represents something that is totally apart from what's actually happening at this golf course. But why is she actually a member of Bushwood Country Club? What is she doing there? I imagine that she joined because of the opportunity. I'm sure she her success in life gave her some money and some status, some 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 eliteness. So she, she thought, you know what, I, I should belong to a country club. So she joins Bushwood Country Club. She's a member, an established member of the community. Then she gets in there and she's like, Who are all these freaks? Like I don't I, I, I hate all these people. But she's she's paid her initiation, you know, she's already in there. So what is she to do? And then when another outsider joins the club. She couldn't be more happy because she has somebody she can finally relate to. I think that's fair. I think perhaps she is a widow. Uh, I think perhaps that she was married to a guy who really liked golf, but also had like a very sort of cool laid back side. And perhaps just geographically, it made the most sense to join Bushwood Country Club. And her husband has passed on. It's been some time now, but out of respect to him and the love and marriage that they had, she still belongs to Bushwood Country Club, and maybe that's why she's still there. To me, that's the best theory that I have is that she's a widow because if she was like a self-made woman, which she very well could be, then her being at Bushwood makes even less sense. Wouldn't she want to be part of like social clubs that are more inclusive given, given how attracted she is to someone like Jack? It just doesn't make sense to me that she would be a self-made woman and then also want to be a part of Bushwood Country Club. Those two yeah, things but- don't al- align to me. That's a good point. And kind of along those lines, I, I thought it was strange. I was I was always waiting for them to at least acknowledge Jack's ex or or his daughter's mother. Because yeah, Kate, Kate's mom. Kate's Kate's mom. Because the the two of them are there and, and they're going through this whole experience and then like Elizabeth Pierce, Diane Cannon enters the picture, but it's never like your mother would have liked this or like I think a lot of times they at least give some sort of context as to 
what the mother's place in the picture is, whether they're divorced, whether they're separated, whether they haven't talked to her in a long time, like whatever it is, they didn't even mention it. Yeah. I was a little surprised by that. Um, speaking of, of Diane Cannon and Jack, there's a scene probably about 30 minutes into the movie where Jack and, and, and Diane Cannon are in the club and it's kind of their first night in the club and they're having a good time and they're dancing and, you know, Jack's got his bright suit on and Diane Cannon's looking great and they're doing their thing. And all of a sudden the, the, the music stops and it's announced that they're going to have a slave auction. A slave auction is what they said. And I was like, okay, well, I, I must have misheard that they didn't say slave auction. Nope. They sure they did. did. And that's what was happening. And the first person to go up to, to bid was Robert Stack's wife. Uh, <laughs> and Jack decides to outbid Chandler. Uh, the, the, the bidding is happening as Chandler's wife up there, who, of course, is very stuffy because Chandler, who is Robert Stack, very, very stuffy. And <laughs> so Jack bids 500 Reluctantly, Robert Stack bids $510. And immediately, Jackie Mason goes to $1,000. And despite the pleading of Chandler's wife from the stage and Chandler's daughter right next to him, Robert Stack would not go a penny higher and is letting his wife be subject to whatever sort of torture Jackie Mason has in store for her. And then we find out that, hey, Jackie Mason bought everybody and then took them down to the work site. What, what do you get, like nine people that were all working at the site for like $11,000? He bid, he bid on everybody. This was one of my favorite scenes in the movie because I guess I was kind of laughing. I was, I don't know if I was laughing out loud. I was definitely entertained by this because they had just gotten done establishing that Jackie Mason wants to build these low income housing units for, for the blue collar workers and that everybody at Bushwood and all the officers in the country club object to this because they think it's going to tear down their city and, and bring poor folk to their community. And and then, like, instantly, he is making all nine of these country club officers, like the president, the vice president, the secretary, literally build these apartments that they are so opposed to. Okay, so there was a piece done by Sports Illustrated, and it was actually just came out last year. And it looked like it was cribbed from a lot of other sources that I found. The AV Club did an interview with Harold Ramis who directed the original Caddyshack and got some of the behind the scenes. So Rodney Dangerfield was the driving force behind this sequel between the first Caddyshack, which was his initial performance in a movie. He'd never been in a movie before. 1980s first movie. He kind of became a pretty big movie star. I don't know if you're familiar with back to school, the movie where he goes back to college with his son, pretty big hit, probably the biggest hit of his career. So Rodney Dangerfield is basically an A-list star at the time. They're trying to ramp up Caddyshack 2, and Rodney's, like I said, the driving force behind it. Dangerfield made $35,000 for the original movie. He was asking for $7 million for the sequel, $5 mil guaranteed up front. He also wanted a personal sauna built on set. Warner Brothers says yes to all of this. They agreed to do this because they're like, look, we haven't had a hit summer comedy in a while. We, we know if we say Caddyshack 2, Roddy Dangerfield, we're at least going to make our money back. Doesn't matter what we put on the screen. We got to put something out there. In the meantime, they also agreed to pay Chevy Chase multiple millions of dollars to appear in this movie. And he was on the screen for what? Maybe like 12 minutes at the most? God, glorified yeah. cameo. Bill Murray, not interested in playing Carl Spackler a second time. 
I guess a big thing that happened was Warner Brothers decided they wanted this to be a PG movie and not an R movie. And as soon as Bill Murray heard that, he's like, I'm I'm out. I'm not going to do this. Wow. Ted Knight actually died in 1986 of colon cancer. Only 62 Ted Knight when he passed away. Pretty sad. So they got Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield convinces Harold Ramis, who directed the original movie. Harold Ramis wrote Ghostbusters, directed Ghostbusters, wrote Back to School, wrote Stripes. Like he was a comedy gold in the 80s if he's going to be in charge of your movie it's going to be successful but then the script kind of falls through people start saying they don't want to be a part of this movie Roddy Dangerfield's fighting with the studio Roddy Dangerfield pulls out of the movie there's a huge lawsuit going on Harold Ramis tries to get his name removed from the script it's a big mess they basically hire two other people to come in and finish the script it's an absolute disaster the director of the movie, the writers of the movie, Chevy Chase, like won't even talk about this. Anyone associated with this movie who's asked about it tries to basically disavow it. The director of the movie went on to win like eight Emmy Awards directing television, said like, I I, I literally had to go to years of therapy because of this movie because it was so bad. Jesus. And again, Chevy Chase, I'll... Pull because up. of the process of, of putting it together and all of the egos involved in all that whole thing, or just like because the movie was so terrible and he felt like an epic failure and he just couldn't live with himself. I think all of it. I, I think that he had, you know, such a huge burden of trying to make this happen and it just didn't come together and he felt this enormous guilt and it was <laughs> it was just a really tough thing to get through. Okay. Here, I'll read this from this is this is this is from some of the research on this. Um, this is from the uh, Sports Illustrated article. Although his Ty Webb character was the only direct link to the original Caddyshack, the actor arrived in Florida seemingly more interested in collecting a seven-figure salary than delivering anything resembling a performance. "Quote: It was a big paycheck, which Chevy talked about a lot." I went. This is the director speaking. I went into this thinking Chevy was committed to this character, but he wasn't. On the first day, we were working out the blocking for a scene, and I said, hey, Chevy, how do you want to do this? And he was just pissed at me and said, why? Do you have any ideas? (laughs) So Chevy Chase just being an enormous a-hole the entire time on set, bragging about how much money he got paid to do it, and then basically was just like, eh, I don't really care. I'm just here for the money. Yeah, I was disappointed in both elements of his character number one that he was the only carryover from the original caddyshack there needs to be more links like just the fact that it's bushwood country club and that ty webb is involved he doesn't even swing a golf club in this movie like he's he says he doesn't play golf anymore he's got this awkward earring which i thought was just terrible um yeah why does he what what is he doing he like he's like hitting golf balls in his house i i just I'm like, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, so that was, it was disappointing. I was just gonna say, it's just a retread of all the same jokes, like when he's trying to take the pool cue and put it up with the rest of their pool cues, and like he's knocking them all down, and it's yeah. like, what, what are we, what are we even doing here? This is just a retread of the same old garbage. So basically, doomed from the start. I don't really think there's ever like comedy sequels are problematic to begin with, but when you have such a long space between the original and the sequel. Like, there's no way to recapture the magic, especially with a movie like Caddyshack. Like, it's such a weird confluence of things coming together, like Rodney Dangerfield and Ted Knight. Like, we we talked about this on an earlier podcast. Listen to the Caddyshack one, because there's a lot of research and, and, and history, and, and so much has been done about it besides us talking about it. But 
it's one of those films and things that just kind of comes together perfectly. And it's tough to recreate that lightning in a bottle. So. Um, what did you think of Dan Aykroyd's character? The voice. I don't, I don't know when I first heard him talk because I've, I've seen this movie in spots a few times. I'll, I'll be honest. I've, I've definitely never sat down and watched this thing front to back because the, the, the whole food truck scene, I don't remember. And that, that was a nightmare when Dan Aykroyd first comes on screen. He's only in the movie for like, I don't know, 10 minutes. The voice is terrible. Uh, he's, he's obviously trying to do a rip off of the Bill Murray character, but he's not fighting the gopher ostensibly. Um, on the surface, he's trying to actually kill Jackie Mason when he's on the golf course. Like it, 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 isn't that how you understood his mission? He is going to try to kill a human being. Yeah, that that's exactly what he's doing. The, the voice was the biggest thing. And it's like, it was just, can you try to do it for us? Can you, can you you try to do the voice? I, I, I literally can't, like, I can't even remember, like. I, I couldn't. Oh, even is it kind of like right here? <laughs> so he's he's basically a um, military veteran who's who's got some sort of PTSD or psychological disorders, yeah, and vet, uh, probably yeah. He's just you know wants to have a food truck and kill people um, for hire, and I, I I don't know. I just I couldn't. I couldn't get behind it. Like he kind of lost all of his credibility when he opened his mouth the first time, to be honest. And I just couldn't like get behind anything he was doing. He did win an award for his performance. And I don't know if you saw this, Joe. An Academy Award? A Golden he Globe, He won a, a Razzie Award mm. for the Worst Supporting Actor, which I think was well-deserved. I, I don't know what the competition was like in 88, but I, I can't imagine there was a, a more deserving character. I think it was nominated for four Razzies. I think your boy uh, Jackie Mason was also nominated for one. I had never heard of the Razzies before about 25 minutes ago. Yeah. Hmm. Actually, you know what? I'm going to pull up. Here we go. The 1989 Razzie Awards. I'm excited you brought this up. Nick, why don't you tell me one of your categories first? Why don't you tell me who the best golfer in this movie is? The best golfer is um, is Kate. Yeah, it, it, it's it's Kate Hartunian. Okay, so she, uh, she it's like the one good golf shot they show in the entire movie. It's in the it's in like the second scene, and um, she just you know hits hits a nice shot over the water from about a hundred yards out, and I don't know, like gives herself like a a 10 foot birdie pot and there are no other golf shots that even come close to that except for except for um i don't know if you noticed this you probably did in the match on the 18th hole the uh the guy is pitching out of this crazy rough like these crazy weeds fescue and he's hitting it off a tee did you notice that <laughs> i did notice that <laughs> yeah and as, as, what kind as far of local as, rules is Bushwood putting in place? As far as as far as Kate hitting that shot, I gotta say I I rewound it about three times to see if that was actually the actress swinging the golf club. I don't think it was, but they did do a night like that was an actual golf shot. Like it wasn't like 
see see actor hitting ball and then cut to the result of the ball like that ball was they actually tracked that ball into that's probably the most expensive shot of the movie they tracked the ball in the air and it did land like 10 feet short of the cup it was a very good shot yeah yeah it was it was very believable it was great i have kate as well i did want to make a uh uh perhaps a uh, honorable mention for Randy Quaid. I was surprised at how competent his golf swing was when uh, he took a few cuts with, with his green driver and green putter when he's playing the Jack's wacky golf course. <laughs> I like when Robert Stack asked him, "How are you going to play with a driver and a putter? That's only two clubs." And he's like, "How much? How many more do you need?" It's like to a non-golfer, like that probably makes a lot of sense. Like you have the one you hit the ball with, and you have the one you putt the ball with. It's it's very reasonable. It's like it's like in disc golf. You know, you have a, you have a, a driver and a putter. So before we get to the worst actor, um, yeah. So Jackie Mason lost worst actor to Sylvester Stallone. This is this is the ninth annual Golden Raspberry Awards, which are held in 1989. The nominees, uh, wow, what a category! So the worst actor that year, you had Tom Cruise in Cocktail. Um, that's how dare you! I love that movie. Bobcat Goldthwait in Hot to Trot. Jackie Mason in Caddyshack Two. And Burt Reynolds in two movies <laughs> for worst actor. <laughs> They're called Rent a Cop and Switching Channels. <laughs> uh, that's so good. And um, worst picture, Caddyshack 2 lost out to Cocktail. So that's a tough break. Uh, I think Cocktail, let's see, where, where else was it nominated? Uh, Caddyshack 2, oh, also nominated in, uh, <laughs> in worst, worst screenplay as well. So. Uh, didn't get shut out though. Like you said, Dan Aykroyd did take home the worst supporting actor. Do you think you you <laughs> get a physical award for that? So you do, and I can't remember who did it, but someone about like twenty years because this was always done as like a real dig to their performer. But someone twenty years ago had the balls to show up. Oh, I know who did. So Tom Green. I don't know if you remember the movie Freddie oh, Got yeah. Fingered. Freddie Got Fingered came out in two thousand one. He showed up to the Razzies and he won like five, and he was just like thanking his parents and like doing his whole thing. And he basically like kind of, I don't know, hacked the Razzies at that point. Cause then people started like actors started showing up. If you don't take yourself too seriously and go home. Like if I was an actor of like some stature, I would, I would love to go to that, like collect an award and that, make that's a move that probably only Tom green could have pulled off. Especially if you're the first person to do it. Yeah. Right. For sure. And I love Freddie got fingered. I think that's a great movie. Um, worst golfer in the movie, Nick. Um, it's, it's, it's Jack Hartunian. It's Jack. What is his last name? Is it, is it Hart, Hartunian? I, I think I had it pulled up and, a second. They just want to shorten it to heart. For the sorority sisters. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. God. A lot of, ugh. Just. Not, not great. Really, really not great stuff going on with that uh, muff. What was it, Miffy? Miff, Miffy. I did also laugh. Okay, I did also laugh. Oh no, Muffy is what Jackie Mason wanted to call her. Her name was actually Miffy. I thought it was funny when Kate pushed over Miffy at the end when she calls her a bitch, and then she like walks into the tree and then she falls down like (laughs) twenty times down the hill. I did chuckle with that. So that was that was probably the other time that I laughed during the movie. But it's Jack. He's terrible. He, he has that, a slice that that apparently boomerang literally boom, boomerangs and comes all the way back and, and hits the gallery behind him, which is out of this world. It's not ideal. No, it's but not. he learns to play it to his advantage. 
That's exactly right. It overcomes exactly a seven-hole right. deficit. <laughs> they did make it up. They did make it up. Um, most unbelievable shot. Now we have. I have. I have some good candidates here. Um, can I? Can I run down the candidates that I have? Yes, please. Okay. So the first time uh, Jack is playing golf, the uh, the putt that he had with the special effects, where he's on the green and there's like weird like. 1980s Tron special effects where it's some sort of like grid that looks like it's a security system, but somehow it like tracks the ball and moves it like it's a 40 foot putt and it like sort of moves it into the hole. So I have that one. You mentioned earlier Chevy Chase with his indoor golf. The third shot that he hits ricochets. So he's inside of his mansion. It (laughs) ricochets off of a painting. It bounces, goes through a window. Somehow the window shatters Chevy Chase, Jackie Mason walk through the window, watch this ball bounce several times off of a cart path. And it appears like it's going to go in an actual golf hole. But for some reason, Ty Webb has set up a glass. And instead of going into the actual golf hole, four inches to its right, the ball bounces into a glass and he makes it. So that's my second candidate. And then my third one, of course, you remember the from Caddyshack. And they try to keep that going here in Caddyshack too. I don't know how many takes they gave Jackie Mason to do the no, 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 but he was, did it so bad. He has a 50 foot putt to put the pressure on Robert stack who needs to only make a two footer to tie after Jackie Mason cranks in a 50 footer from downtown with all the no, 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 no on it. And, and those are the three most unbelievable shots, the 50 footer, the indoor golf shot and uh, the other Jackie Mason putt with all the 80 special effects. Did I miss any? Well, no, it's the 50 footer. And this is why. That putt, like, I don't even know how to describe this. It it they it lips in, except for it doesn't even. It's like four inches from the lip, and then it just drops. Like it, it's not like it's going towards the edge of the cup and and like dives into the hole. It's like well outside of the cup, yeah. and then just falls in the hole. Like it it, yeah. it it was like it was like some Space Jam stuff going on there. So that the, for that reason, that's the most unbelievable shot. It really is Space Jam. It's like Bugs Bunny has the magnet underneath the green and he's dragging it around to get it into the hole. Nick, did I miss anything before we give this movie a score? Well, I think you need to I think you need to step up and, and tell us which one is your which one is the winner out of your three candidates of the most unbelievable shot. I'm gonna go with the Chevy Chase indoor golf shot. Um yeah. we talked uh-huh. last week. We talked last week on Who's Your Caddy, and we had a great debate over what's more difficult. Um, the caddy hitting the inside of the caddy house where it has to bounce a very specific pattern uh, or big boy hitting it from 230 off the deck with the driver into the winds into the hole. Um, Chevy Chase's shot in this movie was much more unbelievable than the caddies previous week. We're bouncing off paintings. We're going through windows. We're hitting the cart path six times and we're landing inside of a cup. Uh, I'm sure Ty Webb has a lot of time on his hands to practice that shot, but I don't necessarily know if he's practicing. Uh, I think he's just, doing LSD by himself in his weird mansion. So that's my winner, Chevy Chase, hitting it yep. indoor and then outdoor into a cup. Nick. That, that, that's, that's a good one. Are you ready? I'm ready. What did you give Who's Your Caddy? 102? Yes. You gave it a, you gave it a 102? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you were to bring, like, your cousin to the golf course who has played golf twice 15 years ago, you know, in a shot of one two, you'd be like, hey, man, that's yeah. not bad. Good round. Let's have some beers and talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was Who's Your Caddy. 
Caddyshack 2 is a, a gross 76. 76? You think this I knew you be... were going to be I knew you were going to be oh astonished by that score. I'm yeah. so I enjoyed Who's Your Caddy so much more than this movie. So much more than this movie. I'm sorry. This is this this is your turn. Go ahead. 70 No, I, I I mean that that's the exact reason I I enjoyed this movie so much more than Who's Your Caddy. Mm. Like this movie I I just think it's I just think it's better. Um you know, that for the reasons I said earlier, even though I wasn't laughing, I was moderately enough entertained and I was waiting for it to be to live up to its terrible terrible hype and it it, it sitting down with that perspective it it never struck me as as that incredibly terrible wow well i had uh 5 minutes into this movie planned to give it a 103 so i could eclipse the highest score we've ever had on the golf movie five some uh, a or b flight as you gave Who's Your Caddy 102 last week. However, I couldn't do it. The presence of Diane Cannon gets it under 100 for me. She's fantastic. I love her to death. I've had a crush on her since I was a young man. 99 is the score for Caddyshack 2. I give it a 99. Okay. Uh, a two, a, Probably like a two-putt from about eight feet on 18. Just going just gonna to baby it up there to make sure we don't shoot 100. 99. Yeah. For Caddyshack 2, uh, this yeah. is a terrible, that, that terrible sense. movie. I um, there's there's a few things I could just completely do without, like the whole Dan Aykroyd character and, and yeah. the Gopher. I I get you bring it back, but get him out of this movie. It did not bring anything to the movie for me. No, you could do without those. You know, it, it could have been better in a few ways for sure. But overall, like I said, I was entertained. I wasn't. I think the I, thing for Who's Your Caddy is like it's modern enough that like it should know better for like the, the things that just made me uncomfortable and like th- of how terrible it was. Like Caddyshack Two was made like thirty years ago, plus thirty something years ago, thirty three years ago. So like, it's got an excuse for a lot of the a lot of its shortcomings. I guess what I would say is the time that society, even though in years, the difference between nineteen eighty eight. And 2007 is longer from 2007 to now by about five years. I think the evolution of society and how most people look at stuff has evolved a lot more in the last 14 years than the previous 19, if that makes sense. I don't think there's a huge difference between 1988 and 2007 for as far as how people think about stuff. But from 2007 to now, at least I hope and I think that a lot has happened in those years from how people view society. All right. That's my read on the situation. And something I need to point out, I, what was that? uh, Is it Doug Todd? What is that? Todd Todd sweater in the opening. See, I'm going to post a picture of it. That Todd sweater in the opening sequence of this movie is so friggin' good. I want that sweater so bad. I paused the movie and and Googled. You can't find it. I I, I literally looked for it. I looked it for it in incredible. a sweater. I looked for it in a hoodie. I looked for it in a t shirt. No, it's it's not so, out there. It is so good. It's basically like imagine 
a late 80s sweater and it's I think three colors and the middle section is white and think like of an 80s green on top and like an 80s green on the bottom and the middle is just this sweet golfer and it's like this stitched almost quilted looking golfer in the middle and the first thing I thought was am I actually gonna like this movie purely based on this sweater it was so good and then it was all downhill from there that was the highlight of the movie the credits were still rolling the caddy boy was running to get a diet root beer across the golf course for Muffy. And I saw that sweater and thought it was going to be good, but it wasn't. But that sweater was sensational. Mm, that sweater. Somebody listening to this podcast has got to be like a creator of clothing. Like sure. just put that print on a t-shirt. Maybe we should do it. And like, I don't know. Like any any rights on it have got to be expired by now, right? Look, we're about to venture into the second century of at the turn, perhaps a logo change would, is in order. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that, that's sick. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we thought of that sweater. Anything else? This movie sucks. No, that, that that's it. What's next, Joe? So we have a few options. Um, if we can locate the caddy from 1953, starring Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, that's on the list. We also have Tommy's Honor. And we also have Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius, which I'm prepared to just dump all over. You want to do the Bobby Jones movie next that stars Jim Caviezel? I don't know who uh, Jim Caviezel is, but yeah. Jim Caviezel played Christ in The Passion of the Christ. Anything else I might know him from? <laughs> yeah, he was actually in some, uh, I mean, he was he was in some movies before that. You know who Jim Caviezel is, I'm telling you. When you see him, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's that guy. Google him right now while I talk about I, Precision I, I, I am. Folks, we're nearly hitting the dog days of summer. You only got a few months left to get that handicap where you want it to be. By the way, Nikki, 7.4. Yeah, I'm getting yeah. to where I need to be. Yeah, it's exciting. That's good. I got my I got my uh, lowest handicap of all time at, at the moment, to be honest. What is it? It's it's 18.0, and I made a triple bogey <laughs> on, on the last hole that I played to, to prevent myself from getting into the 17s for the first uh, time. Well, Nick... You will get into the 17s, and that's because your yardages are dialed in with PrecisionPro.com. Use the promo code TURN10 at checkout. Those distances are going to be dialed. Folks, the best range finders out there, PrecisionProGolf.com. TURN10 at checkout. Get those incredible range finders. Maybe you can get your lowest handicap ever as well. Were you looking up Jim Caviezel? Were you doing anything over there? Yeah, I uh, don't know who he is. Okay, great. We're going to learn all about him right now. I'd be like, (laughs) hi, I'm Nick. What's your name? (laughs) Well, you're going to learn all about him next week. Bobby Jones, Stroke of Genius, coming up next. Nick, I'm excited to do the next 100 episodes. Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited to uh, put an at the turn logo on that um, that sweater. sweater. Yeah. Also, matchstickgolf.com. Use promo code TURN15 to check out the best ball markers in the game, matchstickgolf.com. That's it for Caddyshack 2. That's it for the first 100 episodes of At the Turn. We'll see you next week. It's going to be Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius. Get ready. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at the turn.